0: toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. Each week, Dr. Rob sits down with athletes, executives, and expert coaches to talk about mental toughness and their hinge moment. Here's your host, Dr. Rob.
1: When I ask the kids questions, it really seems like there's such a push around that 13, 14, 15-year-old age to do something that you're good at and have this Identity uh, attached to you and your name—that's uh, beside just being, beside just being a human being. You know, am I am I a good student? Am I in this club? Am I, you know, a varsity athlete? Am I a two-sport athlete? And these things that you know—they really feel that they have. Well, this is my thing, I guess. You know, for some of them because they need some. I'm a golfer. I'm this versus so I'm just. And there's nothing wrong with either. Obviously, my you know my life is dedicated towards the kids that identify as golfers but you know I, I think that these kids can we as adults I think can help them see themselves more well-rounded and and at the end of the day that helps their golf too <laughs> that whatever activity that they might be good at and enjoy if they're viewing themselves as this whole person um, that is also a good friend a good sibling um, and all of these things that's gonna help every area of, of their life.
2: Folks When I finished my 100 miler, I was happy to be done, but I wasn't finished. The reason why my legs weren't completely bonked from running was that I used PR lotion by Momentus. It simply eliminated any lactic acid buildup in my legs, and it's the best product I've ever used. Momentus is a leading nutrition and supplement company which works with over 150 professional and collegiate sports teams. No other company has the accolades of being awarded six innovation contracts from the Department of Defense for Human Performance. Since I started using PR lotion, I now use their plant-based protein, collagen peptides, and recovery formula. Look, if performing is important to you, do yourself a favor. Go to livemomentous.com. And for listening today, you get the best part a discount. Enter code DRB20 for 20% off your order. That's DRB and the number 20. LiveMomentous.com. Optimize, perform, and recover. LiveMomentous.com. So our guest today on episode 114 of the Mental Toughness podcast, he is a repeat guest, It's Albert Jennings. Highly recommend you listen to episode 49 with Coach Jennings. I actually had many parents that have listened to that episode and absolutely love that episode. So um, if you're just tuning in, some other coaching episodes that we have, episode 107 is Eric Musselman. Episode 111, that's Tim Tucker. That was Bryson DeChambeau's caddy. Episode 105, Stephanie White. Just a fantastic interview as well. And just for our listeners, this episode will be a little different. If you're familiar with golf terminology, this can be a little bit of ham and egg style. I'm going to kind of ask a question. Coach Jennings going to ask a question. It'll be Q and A. And and I'm a. I am I do not know if I I get nervous when it comes to this, but when I'm giving up the mic and I'm giving up to somebody as smart as, as Albert, then, uh, then it puts me on my toes. So hopefully, uh, hope we'll do a good job. I know it's going to be a good show. Let me intro our guest again, real quick. He never lost a golf tournament from ages 10 to 15. And he was one of the best young golfers in the world. Wore pants as a young kid, because he's going to be Tiger Woods. So he was definitely a phenom. Again, hear his whole story, episode 49. It's fantastic about the lessons learned. And now he's an absolute awesome golf coach and it makes a difference in so many people's lives. Albert Jennings, Albert, thanks so much for joining us, my man.
1: Doc, thank you for having me. And, and you know, I, I don't know what I expected last time, but it went so well. And and the feedback that I got also after that was so humbling. So to uh, to be on again and be able to talk about, you know, some old and new things uh, with you is 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 an honor, man. I'm excited.
2: Awesome, man. Well, so pre-pandemic is when we had our episode. Uh, yeah. I mean, l- let's talk about that. I mean, in terms of like the golf world, how... the golf world explode from from post pandemic or even during the pandemic
1: right and obviously we had no idea uh, unprecedented for everyone and you know we had no idea how the whole thing was going to go and and just for me personally in our club you know we had a bunch of kids that played more golf than what they would have because it was one of the only things that that they could do and we got outside a little bit earlier you know in that spring and we were bundled up but we were able to do something and you know it was funny i was talking recently with a family whose daughter is a, you know 2024 20, class and, and is looking to play college golf and is an amazing amazing player now and if it weren't for the pandemic she would not have been the player that she was because it just so happened that, that that. That was right when she was starting and, you know, it was one of the only things that that they could do and her friends were doing it and but if you take that away she might have been doing some other stuff and so you know obviously there's a, a lot of bad about the pandemic but for for golf and for you know kids and, and adults getting into it it really presented this great opportunity um that we've seen you know help the business of golf and help you know folks like you and i be able to work with more people and at a higher level so yeah it's been crazy these last few
2: years yeah, it was good. I always kind of joke about how many relationships were probably saved because <laughs> the spouse is saying, why don't you just go play?
0: Right? Yeah. And it was
2: yeah. interesting, man, because we actually, so we would hit up the course and I remember doing nine holes and we got done. It was one of the courses that had opened up. Uh, again, no cards, had a walk. That was mm-hmm. fine. And there was a news episode that got done and Again, it was me and Porter. We were just putting and they just kind of asked us some questions like why why are you out here? All that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I remember it was the only positive story on the news mm. that night. The yeah. only one. Yeah. And I felt I felt bad. I really did. Wow. And then I'm one of the people, I don't pay in- t- any attention to the comments, but I followed yeah. the comments that were on that Facebook and it was it made me feel bad. I yeah. was like, man, dude, like there were a lot of, you know, but I'm like, well man, do I apologize for loving golf and loving a sport and going out and playing? No, I'm not going to. And so yeah. that was it. But I remember at the moment, like it was just really eerie watching all the negativity and then seeing the one positive story. That
1: yeah, it, it was man. And it's, I mean, it's a hard thing, but at the end of the day, it's like, okay, you know, all we can really do is express, as much gratitude as we can for this sport that we have and you know this country that we're in and and what we are able to do amidst a lot of, you know, bad stuff going on. And golf certainly, you know, can be that in people's lives, you know, even but forget the pandemic, just with everything we have going on and, and the peace that it can bring to just a person and and potentially to a family, which we'll get into, you know, if you're able to go about this journey and have more good than bad um, and just having a lot of gratitude for that, man.
2: Yeah, man. indeed, man. So talk about like you, when we spoke pre-pandemic, I mean, obviously you're a coach and how has your coaching changed in those last couple of years?
1: Yeah. Holy cow, man. And uh, I've actually recently been, been comparing it to my junior golf. And okay, you get started and you love it. And you know, your son's in this stage where it's just I just love it. I just want to do it, you know? and it doesn't feel like a job and I know certainly early on in my teaching you know I started really coaching in college Um, you know I was lucky enough to work with Keegan Bronnenberg, who went on to win you know a D2 national championship and you know but it's always just felt like it just felt fun and it just felt like okay I just get to be with these you know kids that I enjoy and you know at the time the age gap really wasn't that much you know I'm 30 now but you know I was early 20s getting started but I'd say in the last few years, it started to feel like, okay, uh, you know, had a little bit of success, had a had a state runner-up on the girls' side, had a state championship on the boys' side, you know, had some some good success for some junior golfers making it into national events and things like that. And then it's like, okay, well, now there is, which we talked about last time for my junior golf, some expectation. And that's expectation I have in myself. That's expectation coming from you know outward from from parents that are bringing their kids to me from you know the golf community you know here in Fort Wayne and abroad and I started to realize okay you got to really think about how you go about this now, because if you're not careful, you could get into this bad place that really I'd been in before with junior golf, um, where it turned into this thing that I wasn't enjoying as much. And of course that's a, you know, there's yin and yang with that. And um, I've had to figure out, okay, how do you keep getting better as a coach, uh, but keep enjoying it and keep doing it for the right reasons, which, you know, when I first started, it was to, to help kids. I'm really passionate about helping kids at, These vulnerable points in their lives and using golf to be uh, an avenue for that. And, you know, if I get too much in the weeds on just the golf side, I can ignore all the other stuff that I really got into it for in the first place. And so I'd say that's been one of the biggest things over these last couple of years, especially is figuring out how to, you know, I had to check myself after um, the state championship when I got in the car to drive back home from Prairie View. And I hadn't gotten to I-69 yet before I was like, well, we got to get another one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we got to get it next year. We got to get another player. Did that hit you? Yeah, man. And and I never really had it like that before. Like it was so like I I got my coffee, pulled out of Starbucks. I hadn't got quite 69, I hadn't picked music or podcast yet. It's just quiet and I'm like. Yeah, well, you know, what are we going to do when we get home? We got to, we got to prove, prove it, right? You know, and I said, okay, well, that might not be the healthiest thing, but uh, you know, figuring out what to do with that, you know, down the road, and and if I want to keep doing this for a really long time, which I do, um, you know, how to go about it, and so I'd, I'd be curious how you feel and what your journey has been in in that way and as you've worked with players at really high levels you know how do you balance that desire to be you know not the, be the best or you know be as good as you can possibly be with okay i enjoy doing this thing
0: hey good looking if you like this podcast and are already a badass but it's all way too complicated then visit our website drrobbell.com and schedule a call with us to help capture your very own hinge moment.
2: that like the question for me man (laughs)
1: yeah it's right back to you
2: (laughs) it's interesting to see how it has evolved um one of the pieces that i find to be interesting is when there's two coaches and this one's true those that have never those that have been fired and those that will be fired Mm -hmm. it just happens right as part of it for many different reasons I have still found that I get let go after people have success. Mm-hmm. They reach a level of success. Okay. Well, what else, what else, right. It's mm-hmm. sort of that. Okay. Well, what What else do we need to do now? And I'm not the salesman when it comes to that, you know what I mean? I let them let them do it because I value the relationship more than, um, really, I mean, more than the championship. I mean, going yeah. to, you know, different players, weddings, man, him, seeing them have families, um, that means so much more to me kind of as a coach and um i mean i've really found then as well being a part of teams um i'm i'm not the guy who's going to be leading the charge in terms of how we're going to go about it for this week it's mm-hmm. not me i will ask the athlete in terms of what do they want to get out of it because it's up to them and to determine what direction they kind of want to go in mm-hmm. and so then i've found a lot of times once they know that direction i'm i'm probably like one of the we're going to get three really good things out of rob today that's about it you know what i mean because everything else if i just keep saying it and saying it it it, it becomes whitewashed in terms of you've said this a lot right and and then it just kind of goes in and out of their ear it just happens i mean that's that's the way relationships go, right? And we spoke about on our podcast before. The same person that's telling my daughter to make sure you make your bed, the same one to saying, hey, you got to get out there and practice. Mm -hmm. I don't have to tell my son how to practice. But so I've always found like, you know, it's my job if it's going to be in those environments. um, Yeah, you're going to get probably three really good things out of this. Now, if it becomes the one-on-one like this, very intimate where nobody's listening, that's where we get the deep stuff done. And um, I've also found as well, I mean, it's just really asking the really tough questions um, mm-hmm. that that sometimes we don't have answers for. Those are tough. Um, so, yeah, good good question, man. I'm glad you brought that one up. You know, you. Yeah. you, you all right. See, you this good? is going to be the this is going to be the tough part, right? Like, <laughs> when do we cease? Because you're a thinker, too. And when you're thinking the podcast, you're thinking of the next question to answer and how we go on that. So, let's just do it like this since we haven't prepared for it. If you've got one, if you've got like a good follow-up then then you just give me the thumbs up. If not, then I'll go on to like the next one.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I had a follow-up on that because just right at the end with asking those hard questions and cuz one of the things I've had to try to get better at is having those hard conversations, sometimes with parents, sometimes with the player. Um you know, a big insecurity that I that I had and still have is I'm 30. I don't have kids, and and I'm talking to a parent about their child, <laughs> and I can't give parenting advice. And I, I study it constantly because I want to understand, but I can't. Really say, well, this is what you should be doing with your kid. That's hard for me. Um, but I've tried to grow in that. And I'm curious for you, as you've gone over the years, you've done this a lot longer than I have. What was your journey like in having those hard conversations and, and asking those hard questions?
2: I think it's just, I think it's just that, man, like being able to ask the hard questions. Um, and it's being very strategic because. Like I don't know how many battles have been won with head-on assaults. Like battles aren't won that way, right? You have to flank the opponent. So sometimes it's asking a little bit softer questions, make sure the guard's down, and then you know you mentioned this, and then just kind of bringing it up from there, and then be able to hear things. And then what I found is, is um, when they when they want to talk about it, they'll talk about it. Like Mm -hmm. they'll they'll bring it up.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's not
2: always right then and there, but then it's just, and that's the part about being paid, I think, and just being available for when they need it.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: but that's mm-hmm. how I've always come across it because I can't, you know, even though I have kids, my experience with my kids is totally different than somebody else's. Even mm-hmm. though my son plays golf, it's totally different than somebody else's because mm-hmm. I don't know what's inside those four walls. And the only way I could get in there is by asking good questions. I think the better questions we ask, the better answers that we're going to get. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. All right, man. So how has your, we, you know, we spoke about starting with why, especially as coaches, how has your why changed? Cause I think your why changes. We don't mm. always in touch with it, but how has your why then changed from starting off coaching and, and where you are now? You know, I've I've become
1: aware, you know, I've got this big soft spot for seeing a young person achieve something that that they didn't think they could. And I mean, I can be watching it. It could be, you know, the Australian Open, you know, a teenager getting through a couple of rounds and just seeing what that does to them and just see them be on this on the precipice of understanding what they're capable of. And so that I would say is so central to like what motivates me every day. Um, And I think I've tried to get better at being on the same page with the player um, to make sure that I'm not pushing them in a direction of why that they're not intending to go anyway. You know, recently I kind of, in my notes, I made this kind of uh goal compass, this kind of why compass for golf where you say, okay, are you doing this so that you can play when you're 80 and it's a lifelong thing? Are you doing this because, you know, you want to be the best player in the state of Indiana? Are you doing this because you just really enjoy it right now? Or are you doing this because, If you didn't, your parents would put you in something else. And figuring out where a player is on that, and they might not be in one direction. You know, I've found it, I've pulled some of my players, and a lot of the really good players have wound up in the competitive and lifelong side. And I say, okay, that's really, really interesting. And then some players that, you know, maybe aren't quite there yet and figuring out their why, they're more just competitive 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 it's like okay well where's the enjoyment you know where's the i think in the talent code they mentioned in a study with musicians that the best musicians were the ones that said that they would probably stick with it for a really long time and they weren't doing it for instant gratification and so you know i think a big part of my why is certainly to help a young person achieve something that they didn't know they could but then on top of that i guess alongside that, is making sure I'm lined up with them and what they're really wanting. And if they don't know yet, I need to help them figure that out, mm-hmm. especially at this critical time in their lives where they could be sampling other things and activities and, and and developing, you know, really great relationships and, and doing other things that are also fun, you know, in addition to golf. And so that, that's something that I'm trying to get better at and make sure I try to get in lockstep with the students and with the families about, hey, why are we doing this? And continuing to ask that because as humans, we change, but of course, teenagers, I mean, it could be every week,
2: you know the interesting one is I call those the field of dreams. Why? Because when we watch field of dreams and that one part where he's talking about, he would have played for peanuts and then he said, man, I would have played for nothing.
0: Yeah.
2: That's the ultimate why, right? Because I love it. Yeah. You you get in touch with that, you know, how do, how do we keep cultivating that, that experience and why do you Mm -hmm. love it? Like, cause I always think the why goes about three levels deep. What is it about it that you love? Mm -hmm. Because yes, Mm -hmm. they can love the competitiveness, Um, But what they're really saying is I love to win, which is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nothing's wrong with it. But when you really tap into that player, I mean, I just love the feeling of sending that ball and, and, you know, seeing how good I can get at it. I think that's Mm -hmm. the essence of the best kind of why you can have. I've only come across one why that seems to be the kiss of death. And that one is I'm good at it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's not gonna be enough when, you know, what usually what happens is they're good enough. So at some point they become entrapped in what they're doing. So they can't quit. And but they don't love it anymore. And they're kind of searching. And now they're I love it because I'm good at it, isn't strong enough. It's not gonna sustain the the downs that come with golf and life.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it seems with, you know, I I continuously try to learn about high schoolers and teenagers and what's going on in their world. And, you know, I'm sure some of it was present when I was that age, but it it looks different. It takes a different face. And maybe I wasn't aware of it when I was there. But when I ask the kids questions, it really seems like there's such a push around that 13, 14, 15 year old age to do something that you're good at and have this identity uh, attached to you and your name uh, that's beside just being, beside just being a human being, you know, am I, am I a good student? Am I in this club? Am I, you know, a varsity athlete? Am I a two sport athlete? And these things that, you know, they really feel that they have, well, this is my thing, I guess, you know, for some of them, because they need some, I'm a golfer, I'm this versus, oh, I'm just, and there's nothing wrong with either obviously my you know my life is dedicated towards the kids that identify as golfers but you know i i think that these kids can we as adults i think can help them see themselves more well-rounded and and at the end of the day that helps their golf too that whatever activity that they might be good at and enjoy if they're viewing themselves as this whole person um, that is also a good friend, a good sibling, um, and all of these things, that's going to help every area of, of their life. But you know, I sometimes I get sad when it seems like okay, their worth is tied to this game that one not a lot of people are good at. And two, you, you know, you might be at a school or in an area or in a state where there are a lot of really good players, and you might never get that shine, even if you're putting in the same amount of hours as the top one, two, three players in the state that seem to always always be you know getting the trophies.
2: Yeah, it's a really good point, man.
1: That that makes me think about uh your win with Porter this uh this summer, you know, I was so happy. I, I saw the the Instagram post. Um, you know, he shot and I went back and I looked at some of the scores leading up to that event. And it seemed that with the scores and with the placement in these US kids event, he was getting close, getting close. And then 74, he gets that win. And I'm I'm so curious about that and about your experience within his experience. Um, so my first question, you can kind of take it wherever. Ever would be like, what was that back nine? Like, did you, were you both aware that, you know, Hey, this could be a win. Was there anybody in the group that was close? Like, cause in junior tournaments, you know, you may not know in a pro event, if you win, you kind of know <laughs> where you're at. Uh, junior events are not always like that. So what was that back nine like for
2: you guys? Yeah. It's, it's a great, great question, man. Um, like winning, I really make sure, especially as a caddy, I mean, winning cannot enter at mm-hmm. any time, the mm-hmm. thought process in terms of what we're doing now, you know, the closer you kind of get to the end, I mean, that the feelings are good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the part that I remember about that really on the back was, and again, we were paired with a really good player who had won, you know, a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can kind of judge a little bit in terms of that. But again, golf is very fickle. There were some really tough holes that were coming up. And I knew everyone was going to struggle with him. And there was one par three that he uh, actually the hole before. This is what I remember. The hole before um, he misses it right into a bunker, and it was a pretty bad miss because the miss was way left, you know. And and I can get into what do what's our process when the caddy gets upset, but (laughs) and he hits an he hits an okay bunker shot. It just doesn't roll out. Like it was really it was one of those that was really close to being good has about nine, 10 feet. You know, you only make so many of those. He makes it. And then the next hole, um, you know, sticks a, a good shot. Another eight footer makes that birdie. And then at that point, then I kind of knew it was like, okay, well he has a good shot here. As long as there's not going to be any, you know, big hiccups because there were some bogey holes coming up and in the very last hole as well, this is what I remember. Um, he, it was a par five and, played it well and then just had, um, I forget the yards, man, like probably a 60, 80 yard shot in and left it like quite dreadfully short, you know, mm-hmm. on the green, but I mean, probably like 45 feet away. That's a long green. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well he made, he made that putt, you know, <laughs> and, um, and so then that one was like, okay, well, that's, I know he's going to be close. And because you never just never know. I mean, there's there's some kids sometimes shoot under par in those events. And, um, but it was really cool. And, and something like that Instagram post, like the reason why I did that was because I was, at one hand, I was kind of making light of the situation because I put myself in some of those posts, you know, mm-hmm. and I was making light of the situation. I went, I mean, very, very happy for him. Um, and I, I just wanted to have kind of fun with the moment, you know what I mean? So it was like, you know, that's why we're bowing at the, uh, at the flag. And then some of us, you know, we have our, our, uh, our fist pumps, you know, together. Um, and it was great. And he did what we do at the end of every, uh, tournament. And that was, uh, or, or playing is, you know, he went and practiced, man. So it's like, um, you know, it doesn't have to be long, but it's gotta be 15, 20 minutes at least. Executing, mm-hmm. hey, the good shots, or whatever you want to do, but it's like you get in that habit, um, you get exponentially better throughout throughout time. Mm-hmm. What I'm curious about
1: the types of things that you would say to a, a professional that you work with, and the message, the idea might be the same that you would say to 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 him, to your son but you're obviously not going to, you know, use the same (laughs) language, you know, the syntax is going to be a little bit different. So how do you go about communicating these concepts that are, you know, tried and true when it comes to mental toughness and, um, you know, how to get through these, these big and and hinge moments, how do you then cater that to and make it age appropriate for, you know, a preteen?
2: Yeah. It's, I think on the basis of like communication, like we, we can't, it's, it's always a little bit of both. In one hand, I believe that we can't communicate too much. Mm. In the other hand, it is the timing of the communication. The timing is what's really important. And so the reason why I mentioned that is what I think is important is that we talk about all stressful situations and non-stressful environments. Yeah. That's, what we've, that's what we've subscribed to. So even with it's going to be a pro, what kind of language do we want to use? Mm. You know, and because even using that base of language becomes really important in terms of their perception of it. And so we're seeing it exactly the same because um, trying to get their perception of the event. Um, you know, in terms of my son, age appropriate, it's he is um, he loves all the sayings that come along with golf.
1: OK, sure.
2: So even if he knows, hey, I'm just going to saw a little off here. <laughs> You know what I mean? It, it's just, yeah. it's so cute and so funny. Um, and what we'll use that like in our play, because, you know, we're trying to keep it light, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, uh, we'll watch 10 cup or something together. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to hit it here with a little draw, <laughs> you know, and it's <laughs> that, that's how we kind of approach that. But I always say, look, you have to talk about all stressful situations and non-stressful environments. And usually we do that the opposite. Right. And And that's when the communication breaks down.
1: Right. Absolutely. And I I, I have that trouble with, with parents where I find myself having to say, hey, you're not wrong, dad. You're not wrong. Now's not the time. And it if you want for them to get it, to your point, it has to be at this totally different time. And yeah. to your point of like the timing of the communication. And I think it's, I just, I don't envy parents that are going through this because again, I've started to feel and and become much more empathetic to, to the parents as I've gone on over these couple of years. Uh, I, I told you recently. that go, go go with that, Albert. Just,
2: I mean, yeah. that'd be my question, man. Talk about that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, when I, first started coaching and I'd go out and I'd watch players in a tournament it would make me laugh when I'd hear a parent kind of talking to the kid under their breath you know they're 50 yards away and say come on honey you got it you know and I thought that was so funny and I was like gosh I wonder what it's like you know to, to to have it just bubbling out of you literally and this year for the first time I caught myself doing that this summer you know I'd be sitting there and I'd be like come on come on come on come on this is what you know and i'm like where is this coming from in me but i think over as you spend more and more time you know with these kids and, and again i'm i'm not the parent for for some of these kids i've been with them for four or five years and their parents have obviously been with them birthed them and been with them for 12 to 16 years um But you do start to feel, I I do start to feel these feelings of, okay, this is a representation of me a little bit. And, you know, this is a representation of the work that we've done. And, you know, they've trusted me to prepare them and and put them in these situations that I think they can handle. And, you know, even if they don't have the success, uh, they'll be able to bounce back from it. And so that became really nerve wracking for me. And so then as I started to wrestle with those thoughts and feelings, I'm like, oh, this has to be. At least in part, some of what these parents are feeling, because you only want what's best for this for this kid, you know, and I think one of the things that comes up, because you know we all feel these things. and and at the end of the day, it's about, how do we manage them for the good of the child and the good of the athlete when they're in their moment because like like they are the ones that are really in the arena (laughs) you know we're on the outsides and we're doing you know what we can to help and one thing that comes up and this is for me also is the body language of of either me or a parent on the course, and I think it's even harder on the parents because it's very often that a kid will say, "Oh, my dad did this, and it put me off." Or, I knew my dad was upset about this shot, and um, the parents are often surprised by how much the kid picks up on, and sometimes will even be defiant, like, "Oh no, they didn't see that. I was way ahead," you know. And I think what. What they can forget is that the child has also been with you for their whole life. And they have a huge database of seeing how you react in your body language when, you know, we miss a turn or when somebody's late or when something happens that's not called So they know what your body language looks like when it's not super pleased, you know, and they're so attached to you um especially in the early years right of like okay how they feel is how i feel you know so finding ways for myself and to help the parents you know one thing that i started to do is i'll start out further away and around especially if i'm watching you know one player and i'm going to be there for a stretch of holes i'll start out further away and then if they start to struggle i get closer and I'll give a clap for a four footer for a double that they make instead of, hey, I'm close. I'm close. We start out par, par birdie. Oh, double. God, I got to take a walk. <laughs> right. Yeah, Which exactly. Is easier to do. But the way that that's going to affect them, even for, you know, my upperclassmen that I know are mature and they know that I love them and they, they know that I'm there for them, it's still just that feeling and in the physical space getting further away. So, you know, whatever the system would be, I would certainly recommend to parents to have that conversation and say, hey, look, at whole six, I'm probably gonna have to go to the bathroom. So w- whatever you make on six, <laughs> I'm gonna be leaving. It could be birdie, it could be triple. I gotta go and I'm gonna come back. Or hey, you know, I'm gonna do the first eight and then I'm gonna get ahead, get you what you need, and then I'll, I'll meet back up with you, you know, and just establish we talked before about what's the precedent. Okay. So so the kid knows. What does it mean when we do this? And What's our game plan for uh, when things are going well, when they're not going well, do you want to be? I have players that I'm incredibly close with and that are very good players. And I want to be there to see everything. And if they're playing well, and I wasn't around for that time, they don't want me to come and that's okay. <laughs> and that's perfect. If you get off to a good start and I look at the leaderboard and you're two under, I, I'm, I'll see you after, right? But they know that we've talked about that and established that and they know what to expect because even though they're 50 yards away from us, they're very sensitive to where we are, where we aren't, you know, what we say in between there are times where, you know, you want to say, and I think I see these parents chomping at the bits between holes because they want to say something and they know they can't really get into what adjustment they think they need to make or whatever. And it's just, it's all, it's a very weighted, come on, you got this but it's weighted and the kid feels it and it's, it's hard, you know, and I don't know that there's one right way, but I think establishing a precedent for the kid that's positive and that they know what to expect um, is a really great help. That's it has been for me as a coach. And I think it can be for the parents also.
2: So one of the things that we Porter and I spoke about this year was I can handle, and as a caddy and as a dad, I can handle the bad shots because it's golf Mm-hmm. Right. It's going to happen. I mean, you know, it's just. <laughs> and, but the one thing that I really struggled with is the three putt. And the reason why is because I hate three putting, like from the core of my soul, right? <laughs> it's just like, and especially because, I mean, early on, I'm playing the game a little bit later. Um, man, like you, 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 great drive, great second shot, three putt. And, So I struggle with it and I still struggle with it. And so when he would three putt, yeah, he's upset, but I'm fuming. You know what I mean? I'm just like, and I mean, there would be a couple of times, especially early on, man, like 15 feet and blows it on by or leaves it way short. And it's just like, you know, so I struggle with it. So we sat down non-stressal environment and had the conversation. Or I do not do a good job. When there's yeah. a three putt and it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with me. Need you to understand that, right? It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with me because you, and we talk about responsibility. You are responsible for your own mindset and commitment level. Mm. You get affected by somebody else. That's, that's not on them. That is on you. So you take full ownership. You're the one that hits the ball or you're the one that gets the pats in the back or, you know, you're the one that has to deal with it. So we talk about that. ownership. That said, um, When something like that happens, we need to separate from each other. I will separate from you. I'm give you everything you need. And I just want you to know that is not indicative on you. That is dad needs to chill out and relax. And when he comes back, then we're going to have presence of mind. Because if I don't process it, the problem with me is I verbalize it. And now whoever's in the earshot of it, which would be him, now he's infected by it. Now he's infected by that mentality. And the thing that every parent will say is when you hear your own voice in your kid, that's the part that's scary. So when you hear, God, I can't believe you do that. You just cannot do that. Oh, well, that was daddy saying that, right? <laughs> that was daddy. I know that one. That was you. That wasn't him. And uh, so that was one of the conversations we had and it worked tremendously, man. It was like, um, I, I just do a lot better job when there is going to be a hiccup and I'm just separated just so you know, that's for dad. It has nothing to do with you. Mm. And you know what? That's one of the things that worked, but we, you know, it it was, I'm, I'm having caddied on tour and worked with him. I'm like, how can you be so bad caddying for your own son? Because you would never even think about saying this stuff to a player. And it's not like I am really getting hard on him, but I mean, it would just be like, um, revert back to what the things like we've seen we've been working on this and so it was it just worked tremendously because daddy needs time to process so we just gotta separate and it worked great man
1: that's awesome and that's i think the you know along the lines of you know treating these kids or talking to them in mature ways that allow them to understand what's actually going on. Because I I, I remind myself all the time, they're a lot smarter than what I think we give them credit for sometimes. And I've had tremendous success introducing something to a player that maybe they weren't, I, I didn't think they were quite ready for it yet, or could conceptualize and say, I'll just throw it out there. And then they really grabbed hold of it. And cause I think it's, you know, an incredible mature thing for him to understand and be able to process, okay, dad just needs a little bit of time. And then we can get, and that has nothing to do with me. Like, that's a great thing to learn early. Yeah. And I think giving them the opportunity, like, I don't think we ever fail Giving them the opportunity to maybe grasp a concept like that, because if they don't, okay, you planted the seed, and okay, six months later, next season, oh, now he gets it, and you're really thankful that you maybe planted the seed even on deaf ears previously. Right. Uh, on that note, I'm curious, how do you balance allowing them to to be a kid? And all the things that come with the the stage of development their brain is at and where their emotions are, with the discipline and preparation for what you know is coming in life in general. But if he continues to progress in golf, if it continues to be his thing like where do you balance because I struggle with how much to push to make sure they're ready for this monster that they don't even know exists yet and just let them you know hit some balls on a wednesday you know
2: yeah well the part about you know and i can just speak well when it's your own kid the one part that's interesting is i never have to ask him to practice mm-hmm. like the motor's there if and if a parent has to be the motor it won't work Mm-hmm. so they provide the motor the only thing i can do is provide the rudder right all right hey i can share this with you and because it, it's a continual conversation right It comes up every once in a while hey what what are your goals what do you want to do how good do you want to be it's perfectly cool with me however you want to go but that will just kind of help in terms of where we're stealing this ship because you have to excel at one part of the game you got to excel at one part of the game and short game is where it's going to be. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You have to be able to get it up and down. Um, you have to be able to sustain the punches when you're not hitting it well. And then that's really basically like where a lot of my practice with him will kind of go. Because the other stuff is, is then it's formulating instead of just hitting balls. But, you know, do you have a goal when it comes to this practice? Like you have to, have to you have to have a goal for every practice. I never want you going out there and just hitting balls just to hit balls because it's not directed and it's, you have to know like what the goal is. So I always kind of putting that out there. Um, and then the other part, you know, so that's, that's always look at, man. is like, where's the engine, you know, I don't have to supply that engine. Um, and the other part that we kind of talk about is in, and this is, there's just no way around it. Like if you want to be great at anything, you, um, you have to, you have to do it every day.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, even if it's 15 minutes, you got to do something, you know, even if it's 25 makes, you have to do something um, because it's these small deposits that we make that compounding effect. Um, okay. Well, you've made, you've, you've done 25 makes. What about we put rubber bands on the outside of the putter here? So now it's just center of the club face. What about this ball? That's really going to show you a true role And so it's always just introducing neat things like that um, that keep it creative, that keep it fun. Um and we 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 talk about you don't need to be crazy about your preparation. You just have to be consistent. Consistency Mm -hmm. is the most important thing. Um, like Grace Park, Grace Park never practiced over two hours ever. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, it would, you know, her body would kind of break down. She knew that. I think, look, you can maximize it. It just depends on, and and we know time is really just the it's the foundation. It's not the end all be all just because you practice for four hours doesn't mean, Oh, it's going to pay off next week. And when we talk about these concepts, like golf will pay you back when it wants to pay you back. Not when you want it to pay you back. Mm-hmm. You want it to pay you back just because you worked really hard last week. Hey, you're forget it. Cause life is not like that. It's making these small deposits along the way. So we're always kind of talking about that piece and, and that fun and, and using you know, you use the professional examples about that too, right? I mean, look at, uh, let's look at Max Homa here for a minute. You see him winning. Do you know how long he struggled here on, on mini tours and stuff like that. I mean, look, I'll show you. He's not making it out of Q school. That's what it takes in order to be at that kind of level. Okay. Well, here's something that Max Homa is talking about having gratitude on, on the tee box. Like you think about the things you're thankful for. So it's, it's using those examples too. Um, and that's, that's where I think, you know, a lot of the cred will come from, you know, I mean, we listened to the podcast with Albert Jennings and, Hey, what did Albert say about the precedent you said? Okay. No matter what, we're always going to go get Chick-fil-A after we're done playing, regardless of how you played, you know, we're not, we're not putting that on one or the other sort of thing and, and never going to talk about it on the car ride home. So that sort of stuff, but I think it's just using those examples. Um, and but you, you know, if, if I can, cause I want to mention something that hopefully this part lays in the next point
1: mm-hmm.
2: is I think one of the pieces that um, a lot of people struggle with a lot of young athletes struggle with, and then coaches struggle with too is what are people going to think?
0: Right.
2: So the fact of, well, what are they going to think? The fact of, you know, he hasn't had success or hasn't won. What are they going to think about that? And especially in the last several few years, maybe, I really try capturing that at the very beginning because I'm thinking about somebody else. And I'm not really, if I'm in the mood of, or I'm in the mode of, and how can I help this person? I wonder how they're doing. Other than that piece, I've found when we start thinking about other people, we really start thinking about what do they think about us? And then that becomes such tox—it's toxicity because it's giving people ownership of how I feel about our relationship, how you feel about your game, your worth as a person. And that's the part where um, it's just really capturing, are you thinking about other people? Because so often it happens very quick, right? We flip it on there. Okay, well, what are they thinking about us? What is coach thinking about me right now, right? I mean, does the coach think I'm working hard enough? Well, I got to show coach that I'm working hard enough. And you get in this endless loop. And it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with what people think about you. And it's so easy to step into it that unless we're aware of it, it's um, it can become a really big driver. Absolutely,
1: man. And gosh, the, these teenagers are so vulnerable. I mean, it's probably... Um, Not that you can't face, you know, insecurities after that stage of life, but it's probably one of the biggest stages where, you know, it's a a sports psychologist put it to me once. It's like when, when Adam and Eve took a bite of the apple and realized they were naked. It's, you know, when you get into that 13, 14, you're like, oh, if I go to school with my hair messy, that means that. Somebody might think this, and then I might be labeled as one of these types of people, and that's not what this group of people does. And their whole world starts to be driven by these social factors and what other people you know, think about them. And I think that the, the blessing and curse of golf relative to other sports is that in other sports, it's bang, 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 bang. You know, you're in football, you're far away from everybody. You got a helmet on, you, you know, you're, bang, you're banging with people. Basketball is so quick. You know, it, it's easier to focus on what's going on in the moment In those other sports. The blessing about golf is that it gives us this opportunity to help kids with the skills that they need to do it. When you're out there, it's quiet and it should. I mean, you could hear a pin drop out on the golf course and you're walking 50 yards to the right wondering what your playing partner is your coach who's a fairway over with another teammate what your parents are thinking because they helped you look for it there's all this space and time for you to make up in your head what everybody else is is thinking and so what i think golf can give us an opportunity to do as adults is to help them things like journaling and meditation, and their breathing, and things to do in those moments when it's really tempting for those outside voices to creep in. And again, they're made up, where even, even with the people that we know the best, we're still guessing, and we're still assuming. But the skills to not do that, Adults still struggle with. And the same things that we have to do to make sure that we have it in check are the things that we can, I think, start to teach kids how to do. And and again, like we talked about earlier, it should start with why. Why are you out here if that's strong enough? For some kids, that is enough to tune everything out before a lot of kids and especially as the game grows and it attracts kids that might be more team oriented that would have played another sport, but you know, it wound up being golf. They might be more in tune with what other people might think. And they may need to say, okay, when when I get off the tee, I'm going to do about one minute of, you know, breathing and a walking meditation. And then after that, I'm going to check in with, you know, my notes and go through this process. Like you talk about a lot, what's my process here? So you've got to to be so focused and try to help kids find that flow state to where, you know, if somebody were to say, hey, hey, Johnny, what are you doing? It takes you a second to even realize that they said something to you. And that's difficult. A lot of great athletes have gotten to that place and they're the grades because they're able to do that better than others. But I think helping young people work on the skills to try to tune out what other people are, are thinking. Um, even if it doesn't show up in their game and make them the best player or reach their fullest potential, you definitely will be laying a seed for some skills that they'll need as, you know, collegians and as young adults and in their relationships. And Because uh, it's, gosh, it's hard. And I think golf gives us the best opportunity of all sports to mm-hmm. address those things and help kids practice.
0: Yeah, indeed, ma'am. Yeah. I I wanted to ask you about um,
1: and, you know, you, you don't have to necessarily make it specific to, to Porter, but and it's kind of picking off what we just said. You know, the the toll that comes on really great athletes to maintain a high level. Um, there are people that have studied performance that, that say, like, gosh, it's you know, I don't know that. I'd recommend somebody be obsessed with all of these things because, and we've seen anecdotally what it does to high level athletes at the, you know, the highest level, you know, we we try to find and even with music or, you know, celebrity when you get to this high sphere of all these voices are targeted at you, you've got all this criticism, you've got a lot of people pumping you up, you know, is that, is it worth it? And, you know, how do you go about it in a really healthy way? And so, you know, with you, your expertise, and then obviously having, you know, uh, a young athlete yourself, what, what do you think about that as a whole?
2: So I answer this the right way because you kind of sent me that text. I was thinking about it. Can you yeah. can you sum it up like in one sentence So, I so answer it the right way? Hence the power of the yeah. questions, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. So. It, and it was malcolm gladwell said in an interview yeah. he wouldn't want his kids to be elite level great at something because of the toll on other areas in their in their lives and what we've seen it do to people who did reach those heights want to listen to your favorite music but you're sick of all the commercial interruptions and negative news today Tune in to KukoRadio.com. Music for your mindset. We're a commercial-free online radio station playing nothing but hits. Our free iOS and Android apps are available for download at KukoRadio.com.
2: Amen to that, right? So I've, I've really thought about that one a lot, and the first part that I came to in terms of like elite, so um. I don't know if it's a choice. Mm. Number one, I don't know if it's a choice. I mean, you have to, if it's just, let's look at writing, for instance. If it's just writing, um, yeah, I mean, there is a fair amount of every day you need to write. But no matter how much I write, I'm not going to write like Walt Whitman. It's really not. You know what I mean? It's just a whole other level. You know, I'm I'm not going to write like Malcolm Gladwell because Malcolm Gladwell writes... Every day for a certain type of audience and certain type of research. Now, I think my writing's good, but his obviously a lot different level. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm probably a club winning my club championship. All right. He's winning the Masters.
0: Right. So,
2: when it comes to winning the Masters and being at that level, I don't know if that's number one a choice. A lot of people think it is.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, But you have to have so many things go right in order to be at that. And so then, We break it down a little bit further in terms of, okay, well, if that is somebody that somebody, if that is something somebody wants to do and they do have the innate talent for it. Now, again, we have to develop that talent and that talent has to uh, come out and, and blossom and all that. So let's say they put all that work into it. So the striving for the greatness, the part that I find to be very important isn't. The reaching it. It's not the product. It's not the winning it. It's the process that you go into how good and how much effort can you put into your craft and how good do you want to be and the standard then that you set for yourself. The reason why I'm saying that is because some battles aren't worth fighting even if you win. Mm. Argue with my wife, argue with my kids. Uh, I think I win. I'm not winning that argument. But the best part about that is some battles are worth fighting even if you lose. So the fact that you're willing to push yourself through that, that's the essence of it because you're willing to do things other people weren't. Yeah, the the possibility for failure is there, but then it's getting back to man in the arena, right? It's not the critic that counts. Also knowing in the coaching part of when you're getting on that, that they don't boo nobody's. If you're doing something, they will boo you. They will criticize you. And the reason why is because you're doing something. They don't boo nobodies. And so I kind of just use the president of the United States as a perfect example. Look, president of the United States, most powerful person in the world. Doesn't matter who's in office. Half the country hates the guy. Hates him. You know, not just, I don't really think that much. of him. And has never met him. Never talks to him one-on-one. None of that stuff. But we'll take a 15-second clip of whatever it is and use that to extrapolate into, okay, well, this is how I need to feel about that person. And then it's getting back to uh, how much do we care about what other people think. I think one of the best things that you can really develop is that not caring about what anybody else thinks. If you master that skill, then there is no external piece that's really going to be driving it now it's really tough to do that completely um so then who is it that you allow to judge allow that well i mean it's going to be your peers you know what i mean and the peers are the ones that um you know tom brady could care less about what any radio jock is going to say about him but what what's his teammate going to say about him you know, I mean, that's where the real peace comes from. So it's like, what are the peers going to say about this person? That's that's the only ones that really matter. Um, so I think that it's the striving to be great, and no matter what it is. Um, that's the part that I think would be really exceptional, and to be really exceptional about things, you you just are climbing a different type of mountain, and that that's the mountain that that I think's worth climbing is being no matter what it is, but being great at it and not some external judge, although that's part of it, but what is that process of doing it? Are you willing to do the process? Are you willing to do the work that it takes? Because that's the skill that's going to last way beyond whatever your chosen craft is. Um, in terms of external validity, um, too often we just put the halo around people in different fields and that's no fault of their own right that's the fault of us because mm-hmm. somebody can write something really well well that just means that they're just a great person in all areas of their life mm-hmm. and that's the part that's not true you know yeah. i've met many great athletes who would certainly not want to hang around but people think well they're just fantastic people i've met some people that they don't think that they're really that good, but you know what? They're pretty nice. Never had any issues with them. Um, and then what do you get back to, right? Well, you get back to this media creation that they've created, this, this person, this, this rivalry, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, because that's just the drama and that's the part that sells. So, um, yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. I do think it's the striving for it that, that matters. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think one of the things you said that's really powerful, and I I think one of the things that we can do for kids to help them not care as much about what other people think is to wrestle with, what do they actually think? Yeah. And I've had to over this past year, um, pull the kids more, you know, make surveys and just try to find out what they're thinking and force them to say, well, what do I think about this? And I think an incredible question to ask as a coach or a parent to your kid, really at any time in their journey would be a, a two-part question based on what you said is, and both of them, yes or no, Is this battle worth fighting even if you win? Yes or no? Is this battle worth fighting even if you lose? Yes or no. And the answers to those would be really illuminating, I think, for for any junior golfer or athlete at any level, um, but especially when they're going through something and may be at the edge of burnout. Uh, I heard recently a really good definition for burnout that was a little bit different than what I had you know, heard or thought previously. And it was not necessarily that you just kind of run out of energy and steam and you just you know can't do it anymore. At the end, of course, it is that. But they said it's more a failing of everyone that's involved not being on the same page and the goal not being clear and the efforts not really tangibly adding up to what we're wanting to get out of it. Because I think that kids are really smart enough to look around and see, even if I keep doing this, I don't think it's going to lead to what they think it's going to lead to. I don't even know if I really want that. And, And then you get to this day where it's just like, I'm done. And it seems like it was all in an instant, but it wasn't. It was actually building for a pretty long time. And it was a failing of not getting on the same page early, not making sure that the efforts of the parents um, are matching up with the efforts of the kid and the investment of the parents is matching up with the investment of the kid. And the coach is on the same page of what the goal is of the child. And if there's not cohesion there, somebody's got to suss it out. Sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it's mom. So often I find that mom's got a pretty good idea of <laughs> the inner workings of everything, right? Because they're s- stepping back a little bit and seeing it all often. Sometimes the coach can see, oh, you know, when a parent drops the kid off at a lesson and the parent's saying one thing, and then I see the effort of the kid. And it's like, I don't think they're on the same page. If I asked them all the same questions and compared the answers, they'd be different. And then it's right. my job to step in and try to say, okay, let's get on the same page about what we want here. And I think that often it's rare that the kid is wanting it more than the parent. I say it out of 10 times, that only happens once. Um, and what I try to communicate to the parents is, hey, even if you take a step back and we're not pushing as hard, it doesn't mean that they won't get there, but it does create space that they could wake up one day and be like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and do it now.
2: Right. And then, and that's that's the huge point, right? And, and But we don't do that as parents. We automatically then just look at who is the best 12-year-old right now. We have to do what they do. Oh, they play on this team and this team and this league? Okay, well, that's what we have to do. And then very quickly now we're in that mix and we're not, you know, they're playing three different teams all at the same time, whatever the sport is. And that's where then it becomes, um, you know, yeah. I mean, the expectation piece, the pressure piece, the, uh, well, you're putting them under a lot of reps without any rest Um, that leads to injury, to muscle breakdown, to not loving the game as much, not loving it as much. And then once you, want breaks from the game not scheduled breaks but once you want breaks from the game um when you're not a pro athlete okay well what what is going on mm-hmm. i mean how hard have we been working you haven't been you know and, and that's the piece i always look at it's important so albert coach why don't you do you if you want do you want to drop the, the last question here man do you have one more
1: uh, I got through most of what I wanted for you. If you've got one left over, we could.
2: Okay. I, let me, let me ask one. Cause I'm so curious about this one. It kind of gets back to our piece about the communication, which we yeah. spoke a lot about, but looking back at the last podcast, you talked about like the labels that we kind of put on things, you know, attaching words to it. Like nothing is good or bad until like you label. I was wondering if you could just kind of, how has that evolved with your coach in the past couple of years?
1: Man, I think about the whole, the whole ecosystem, the whole community that we create around these kids. And I think, and our conversation has led me to think a lot about, you know, the, the communication Between the adults, the parents, the coaches, whoever's involved, the trainers, and then how that gets back to the child and how that kind of shapes their universe, which with this whole thing. So, I think one big thing that I would definitely say is we should be so positive and encouraging about other athletes that are in your child's life because what and I, I don't know as much about other sports, but golf, I know for sure. A lot of parents, a lot of people, oh, she's not that good. He's not that good. Nah, he's not. Okay, let's say that that's true. And then your child wins the next week. You've now diminished right. the achievement. So by tearing others down, you're really at the same time pulling your child down if they are to rise to be the cream of the crowd. So, I don't think it does us any good to say, oh, you know, they're not that good, at this, they're not that good, at that. I think that we should say, oh, they're, they are really good. And this is what they do well. And that just be what it is. Cause to your point, there are Malcolm Gladwells out there of writing, and there can only really be one of those. <laughs> but you can still be proud of what you do and, and, and carve out an incredible lane for yourself as a writer, whoever you are then i think the second piece with that is because i find that that happens a lot and then the other thing that happens is on the total other end of the spectrum where a parent will seemingly be blind to all the good things that their kid does but they'll say oh well this is where she makes every single putt but if you ask her parents she's like well you should have seen her last week Because what you're seeing right here is just, she's having a good week. And so I think that we can just do a much better job of giving credit where it's due to, to athletes that are in your young athlete's life and also... Loving your child, I think, as a parent or a coach, your superpower is knowing your child and pumping up the really, really good things about them and the things that they still need to work on being soft and and quiet and gentle and waiting for the right time to To tell them that you know, and it's you know, g- grandparents will often say, and, and parents and grandparents are funny because you know the grandparent that's got the picture in the wallet and just can't think of you know enough good things to say. The parents like, well, when I was the kid, you were da 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 right. So I, it seems like to me, again, as a young person, just observing people that have done it before, we get older, and then it's way easier to just be positive about everything and love all the good stuff. And in my experience, like loving the good stuff that a player does, and 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 being gentle and waiting for the timing of, of the other stuff and again i have to grow and sometimes being a little bit more direct and harsh when it's time um but it i think that in the communication piece i don't think we fail if we're really deliberate about raising everybody up and when it comes to that hard stuff like we've talked about waiting for the non-stressful if there's anything parents remember from this i would say wait for the unstressful environment you know, to deliver certain information, if we can wait for that, it really just communicates an amount of care and concern and patience on our end. Um, And I think that even when we mess up, which we will, we get more grace and empathy from the child because they know that it's hard for us too, but we're trying to do it in this way.
2: Yeah. Yeah, And that's where like, it's a mic drop because, I mean, it's, I always say true success is being able to root for everybody. Mm
0: -hmm. What the parents
2: don't realize is that if you really want your kid to be successful, you need others around them to be successful as well. Because mm-hmm. what happens, right? You can well, once you start beating everybody, now it's not uh well, I've already beaten everybody. Um y- y- you are basing your self-worth and that target then on just beating other people when it has to be on the sport with no defense on the mastery of it, the mastery of it. And, and this is one thing, especially like with, with stallings. I mean, he would, he would relentlessly go to older people who had different shots, right. Different short game shots. And he would want to learn that and learn that and then beat them at it, you know, become so good at it where that's now like his strength sort of. And it's, uh, because we can always learn from other people, we have you have to have that circle of people that are doing great things, um, and that is what propels you to be great as well. And then, look if you get a whole herd of them, that's that's the part where everyone is, uh, you know, doing great things, man. And that's where I look at like the true success is being able to root for everybody.
1: And I can tell you, Doc, you're you're one of those people for me for sure that I can, you know, look up to and learn from and and see you doing awesome things. And that, that pushes me quite a bit. So I I appreciate you and definitely want you to know that.
2: Man, likewise, buddy, I'm getting so much from you, man. So I really appreciate us getting together and, and releasing this one. Uh, great ham and egg. That was, that was pretty nice. I spoke more on this one than I have on any other of my podcasts.
1: Awesome. I was, I was hoping so, cause you, you know, you're, you're a great interviewer, but you know, you've got a lot, obviously, and you put a lot in your books, but uh, yeah, it's good to hear, hear from you and hear you going through it and, and doing a good job and, and, you know, being vulnerable and saying, you've got to tell him, Hey, I hate three putts. So give that a minute.
2: <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever going to get better at that. Man. I'll try, but I'll try. Yeah. Thanks buddy. Hey, thank you.
0: mental toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. To find out more about Dr. Rob, visit his website at drrobbell.com or follow him on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform to get the next episode of mental toughness as soon as it's available. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.